We are so glad you joined us for this week's message from Radiance in Macomb, Mississippi. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Blessing to be here with you this morning as we enter into the third week of our Don't Go There series, looking at some things that uh, maybe some people don't want to go there. Um, Maybe you've been in church before and you've never heard anybody teach on some of these areas. We've talked about predestination. We talked about the Holy Spirit last week that uh, a lot of people are um, ignoring these days uh, and it's very evident in the church. And when we ignore the Holy Spirit, we have no power to do anything. And uh, so we are uh, going into the the next phase, which is a little bit different, but um, not really because when you think about what the Holy Spirit's role in our life is, we start getting into um, our portion because we talked a little bit about the communion of the Spirit last week and what it means to commune. It's a partnership. And so the Holy Spirit plays His role in the partnership and we play our role in the partnership. And so one of the things that we find in Scripture is that uh, part of our partnership with the Holy Spirit is we start to watch some things in our own life. So not only do we have accountability to the Spirit, we have accountability with other brothers and sisters, but we have to also hold ourselves accountable to a particular level when it comes to the things of God. And so uh, we're going to look at our words this morning because uh, there's a passage of Scripture that may have been mistaught or may just be misrepresented. One thing that I do know that we tend to do is we like to go and pull out one-line Bible verses and we claim those and we don't even think about what the rest of the context is, why... You know, Paul was writing this letter, or why Jesus said specifically what he said. And so um, I, I want to dive in this morning in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 through 37, that if we just take this as a two-verse face value, this can be scary for the church. And it just says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give a, an account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, just thinking in those terms, we would immediately think that we're going to be held accountable for the words that we speak. And when we say that, that means that like every conversation that we've ever had is going to be recorded. And that's true, but you also leave out a huge portion of what Jesus is actually talking about because there's a a discourse that takes place over the course of this entire chapter. And so the specifics of what Jesus is actually saying to the group of people is that by what you have just said, you're condemning yourself. And, and on the other side of the coin, you can also be justified by what you have just said. And so I, wanna, I want us to be able to go back and look at this. And if you remember and were with us back in May, we did a series in Proverbs that was called A Little Bit of Wisdom. And one of the aspects of, the, the, of, of those that are considered wise in the eyes of God is the way that we use our words. There's character, there's relationships, and there's wise words. And we, we looked a little bit at that. So I'm going to borrow a little bit. Um, from Proverbs and from that message to kind of talk about what this actually means when we hear the words, uh, every careless word that we speak. And one thing that I think that we miss in, in all of this is that sometimes the word word is different than just another word for word. So this word that's actually here that says careless word is actually rima word, the same word that's used for the scripture. So when you see like uh, in in uh, John chapter 1 where it says the word became flesh, the rima word, the word spoken from God became flesh. It's the same word that's written here. But there are other instances in scripture where you see the word word and it's just merely spoken word. It's not rima. So it's a different word altogether. And so he says you have to be careful 
with what you're actually telling people about your God. Because you remember in this, if you go back in this passage, he's talking to Pharisees. And the Pharisees have just grilled Jesus over three major areas of concern, and they all relate to the Sabbath. And so if you go back in the chapter, I'm not going to go through the entire thing. I just want to kind of give you a, an overview. It's, it's uh, the Sabbath, the day of rest, and we know the, sabbat the sabbatical laws not only apply to an individual day, there's weeks and there's years that, that they would take in Jewish custom. And so these laws became the system that they worship instead of the God that is supposed to lead them back to. Does that make sense? Like we, we start to like worship music and we find ourselves thinking that we're worshiping, but really we just like the song and we forget about God altogether. And so it becomes a Pharisaic mindset when we substitute things. And so Jesus is addressing this in them. And what happens is in, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, it says that the disciples were hungry, and it's on the Sabbath, and they, they were walking through a grain field, and they reached down and they grabbed some grain, they plucked the grain, and they ate it. According to the sabbatical law, they had just broken the law of God. Jesus is with them and he knows it and what do the nitpickers do that's what I always call them nitpickers you know those people that want to point to everything that you do wrong and never ever say anything about you know the the aspect of mercy uh, but the nitpickers in this instance they point out hey your disciples they're looking for a reason to accuse your disciples just did something they're not supposed to do and Jesus goes through and he explains to them that the, the problem here is not that they did something that you think is against the sabbatical law, but you forgot that these men are hungry and this is the way that they could feed themselves. And so there was a, a, an element of mercy that Jesus tries to, to implement and he even goes on and he tells them, if you go back in 1 Samuel chapter 21, that remember back to your own lawful days of old where David went in and he took the bread of the presence which is like a major no-no. And he ate because he was hungry. And God forgave that. So too this is forgivable. And so they, they're nitpicking and Jesus is trying to just, trying to get them to adjust. Like we always think in terms of Pharisees just being against Jesus. What Jesus is trying to do is to get them off this hard right stance and get them back to center. Just like the grace side of things, we, we want grace, but we also have to remember there's a truth attached to it. So he's doing the same thing with these people, and they're not just the, quote, bad guys of Scripture. He's always, he's a little bit harsher with them, but he's always trying to get them back where they're supposed to be because they're missing the point. The second thing that comes up, they enter the synagogue, and there's a man with a withered hand. And it, it just, withered hand can mean a lot of different things, but he had obviously a deformity that was noticeable to everybody in the room. And so... What Jesus does is, he does nothing. And this is what I love about this, because Jesus doesn't do anything in this moment. And you've got the crowd of gossipers, the same guys that just griped about them picking grain, sitting there talking about the man with the withered hand. So like you sitting here this morning going, why is she dressed like that this morning? Why are we, why are we meeting in this building? Why don't we have a church with stained glass and steeples and all that kind of stuff. The same kind of nitpicking thing. Jesus didn't actually do anything and they're already finding a reason to nitpick and to gripe. They're looking for every little thing that they can find and they're talking about the guy that needs the most mercy in the room because there's an obvious physical deformity and so they question Jesus about it before he ever does anything. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, I tell you that it is. 
because I require mercy, right? And so what does he do? Jesus doesn't touch the guy. Jesus doesn't do anything. He just says, stretch out your hand. And when he stretched out his hand, he doesn't say you're healed. When he stretched out his hand, his hand was healed. And so he gave them, he gave them a reason after they complained to complain some more. I, I, like, I, I just kind of like that. Like They nitpick, and so Jesus says, well, I'll just give you an extra reason to nitpick. So you got that instance. And then the third instance is, is right after this takes place. Jesus has been healing a lot of people. Same time frame, same day. It's still the Sabbath. They're still griping and complaining because people are being healed because they're breaking the law. That's, what, that's their, their worry is that he's breaking the law. And so you get to this point, and a guy comes that's demon-possessed and says that Jesus heals this demon-possessed man and, uh, that was blind and mute. And so they once again open their mouths and speak, but this time... They speak to a point where nobody else can hear them. They're kind of whispering among themselves. And when they're whispering among themselves, Jesus, it says, because he knew their thoughts, he addressed them after he had done the miracle. And so when he addresses them, this is where we get into the discourse that we get from this passage right here. And right before that, if you're not careful, you'll miss what Jesus says in verses 31 through 32. After he's talked to them, he says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. So Jesus not only takes their words and flips them, he makes us realize that there is a way for us to think that we're doing something right, and completely miss the point altogether. He says what they have done is, is they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit because the power of the Spirit is what Jesus was operating in in order to heal, in order to see these things take shape. And then we get into the passage that we just look at, by your words you will be justified, by your words you will be condemned. And if you're not familiar with the word justify, it's an acquittal term, meaning that a, a, a pastor, he's part. He's a part of our family, uh, and I'll name John Gordon. We worked under him uh, as student pastors, and he used to say something about justify. He say justified, and he was one of those fiery guys that jumped around. He had that Ric Flair kind of at woo. You know, he would he was red faced all the time. He's one of those you think was mad all the time, but he's really not. He's just a funny guy and passionate. And he would get into it, and he would say, "I'm justified because it's justified never sin." And obviously, I don't have the flair that he does, but but I always remember that because that's what just the justification is. It's a, it's being acquitted or deemed righteous by no means of your own. There's nobody else that can justify you, but the judge in the case. And the judge in this case, we know, is God the Father. And through the Son, by the power of the Spirit, we find justification. And so, when it says your words will justify there is a way that our words justify and there's actually three things some people you may get a little uncomfortable with this for a moment but bear with me because I want you to see it there's actually three ways of justification in the New Testament here in Matthew it says that we'll be justified by our words in the book of James the letter that James wrote it says that we will be justified by our works in James 224 says you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone and then you go back to Romans chapter 3, we're also justified by faith. He says in Romans 3.28, Paul says, We maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And here's the thing that I want you to see. You can't be justified by words alone. You can't be justified by works alone. You can be justified by faith alone, but faith produces the works and the words. Does that make sense? 
the faith, whatever you're putting your faith in is what your mouth ultimately lets go of. So if you're absorbing Jesus consistently, your words can justify. Because that's ultimately what comes out of your mouth. I mean, you can honestly look at it as a, as a four-year-old, we see it in our kids, and, and I always use Kenny as an example because he's the youngest. But anything that you say to him, he says back. Like he's a repeater. So if Paxton, who's in the room today, calls Kenny a name, Kenny generally is going to spit that name back. And what we don't realize is, is we do the same thing. So our opinions and all the things that swirl around in our head and in our heart come out of our mouth. So it kind of defies the modern day logic that I got a good heart but this mouth, Lord bless it. You can't, it's not, it's not biblically compatible. Because if you got a good heart, the scripture tells us out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. So whatever's in there, whether it's faith in God or faith in this world or faith in myself or faith in, in this opinion or that opinion, that's what comes out. And so when Jesus is addressing this, this is addressed throughout the Old Testament because words are used constantly as a means for justification. And when you go back to Proverbs, which is where we took our series in May, you go back to Proverbs and you see that, that what's implied is, is that our words have a lot of weight of people identifying who we truly are. Like we talk about our attitudes a lot, but our words also give people a glimpse into what we truly believe. So in other words, I can tell you that I'm a pastor, but if you see me on Monday and the word of God is not on my lips, do you really believe that I am what you think I am? Or is it just because you heard my words on Sunday? See, that's, that's a problem because that becomes very pharisaic in our thinking that I'm only this on this particular day, or I'm only this by the legal restraint of what I am. And so when our words come out of us, they're coming out of who we truly are. So our faith informs our words and informs our works. And so if you could say it another way, it, faith implies that we have full trust in something. And if our full trust is in Christ, that's the implication of our heart. It's not so that we earn something later. It's, it's for us to place faith and trust that all of our life and all of our, not just these 80, 90 years, whatever we're blessed with on earth, but the eternity, the eternity that we're going to exist in, we have to believe beyond that. And so our faith is put not in the eternity, but in the one who controls eternity. And so if our faith is in Christ, it's the root element of the character that's formed in believers. Right? And then if our faith is, is in Christ, Words are the most spontaneous element of our faith. I, I've been accused of being a quick-witted individual, and like if you throw something at me, I can throw something back pretty quick. And usually it's probably not a good way to do things. But there's also a part of me that when you try to dispute some things in Scripture, I can throw some things back at you pretty quickly. And it's, 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 it's a constant tension between the two natures that are at war within us, and we won't go into that in depth today, but the two natures, and so what I want you to hear about this is, is that words are our most spontaneous, they're the most spontaneous response and element of our faith, of our character. Alright? And so our works are the most permanent result. So when people see what we do, it becomes a more permanent impression. Does that make sense? 
your kids generally remember some things that are a little bit more impressionable. Sometimes I can say something to Paxton. He's in the room today, so I'm going to pick at him a little bit. And he may not do it. But if I give him a little bit of an impression with work, either grabbing him by the ear and being like, get in here and do this now, it's impressionable. He remembers it. It leaves a little bit of a, a permanence to it. And so what I want you to see out of this is, is this flows from the very beginning of time. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, there is a clear, beautiful depiction of the Garden of Eden. And the beautiful depiction of the Garden of Eden was supposed to be what you and I were going to inhabit for all eternity. The problem is, is that in the Garden of Eden, in the middle of the garden, there sits two trees. So we were given options. And the options that were given were very clearly instructable. God simply told Adam and Eve, don't eat from this particular tree. And you know just as well as I do, because we are where we are, as soon as somebody tells me don't do it, what's the first thing we want to do? I got to do it. You got it right, brother. That's what I'm talking about. But you know, because that's that sin nature that's in us now. It's ingrained in us. We can't get away from it. And so Genesis chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says, Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and it divided and became four rivers when it left. And so what I want you to see in this is, is that if you shift your thinking from a physical place as a garden, and now you start thinking what Jesus has implemented where we become the church, we become the temple, we become where the garden is planted, you still have these two trees planted inside of you. And you have a choice with every word, with every action, with everything that goes on to eat from the tree of life or to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which ultimately is the only place that sin is birthed in us. And so every, th every time that we make a decision, every time that we're prepared to speak a word, we are taking from this tree and it's informing everything about our opinions, about why we say what we say, why we do what we do. And so if you start thinking of yourself in these garden terms, what we tend to do is, and what, what we don't realize is we dig a trench around one of those trees. And so all that water that's flowing is watering one of those trees. If we're not allowing the tree of life, the word of God, the, the fellowship of believers, the things that God says are valuable to the church to inform our thoughts, then they never inform our words. Because that's where faith flows from. And so when we dig that trench, we end up cutting off the supply to the tree of life. And when the tree of life starts to die within us, we have to be very careful because when we think in terms of eternity, Jesus says, by your words, you will be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. So if you're not careful, condemnation comes for an eternity and it's not something that we can back out of later. And so we have to be watching where we're drawing and where we're pulling the, the things that come out of us. Because there is a mechanism that some of us claim we don't have called a filter. And if you're in the room and you think that if you think it, you should say it, you're wrong. Because it clearly says in Scripture that we have got to process all of this. That we've got to remember, in Proverbs it says, the power of death and life are in the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So if you love to spit your mouth off because you thought it, you're thinking death all the time. It doesn't matter if it's biblically correct. 
If it's not in the right form and in the right function, you're wrong. And you're speaking death over people. And when you speak death over people, you're speaking death over yourself. The power of life and death, according to Scripture, are in our tongue. Now you can also say it a different way because what if you reverse this, a lot of people don't realize it, but when you go back and you think about the New Testament form of this, it, it's always about what comes out of our mouth. But have you ever thought about what actually comes in to like we just we're kind of a society that consumes and I'm not just talking about food I'm just talking about the consumption of information the consumption of everything possible and if the power of death and life is in the tongue and what we spit out then we also have to put a filter on what we bring in because not all of us can filter things out mentally that we don't need to spit back out at people and listen this is one of the things that I'm learning myself because I am one of those that spits quickly if you spit, I know how to spit back. And then when it's a joking situation with somebody, it's usually I'm okay to do that. But then there's times when I know you're trying to say something and I know what you're wanting to say, and I'm just like, oh, I got you. And I just have to keep my mouth shut because it's not profitable. And so we, ha we have to become people that realize that, that this power that we have is in us. So we've got a tree that leads to life. And we've got a tree that leads to death that are planted in the garden of our soul. And the, the tongue, our words, are a window into what we're actually eating from. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I, I want to make this as easy as possible. So I want to look at Proverbs specifically before we go back to the passage in Matthew. And I just want to show you these two things. I've already said this, but I want to put these in bold print so that you can write them down if you're a note taker. There's two things that I believe are indicative of our mouths. Number one, our words reveal the true condition of our heart. If you have zero empathy for people, it shows the condition of your heart. Well, I don't care what they think. I just need to say what I need to say. That's selfish. Even, even if you may be right, it's still selfish. And it's rooted in sin, and it's causing death, not only in the individual that you're dealing with, but in yourself. And the more you do that, the more you may be correct, but do it incorrectly. You're, you're showing people the true condition of your heart. And if your heart's not rooted in the right place, then obviously nothing that comes out of your mouth is coming from the right place. And this is, it's, listen, this is not, don't hear me preaching, because I'm not preaching. I'm telling you that this is things that I deal with myself. And it's something that we constantly fight, and we have to fight it every time we get ready to open our mouths. So don't take a heaping helping of condemnation because that's not the intent this morning. The intent is for us to realize, man, there's some things that I really need to look at in what I'm saying to people and how I'm treating people and the way the words come out of my mouth. I need to stop and think before I respond sometimes. Proverbs 4 says, My son, be attentive to my words, not your words, because you need to focus and filter what's coming out of your mouth. So there's a filtering that takes place. Be attentive to my words. Pay attention to the words of God because that's what we're ultimately supposed to be giving people on a consistent basis. Now that doesn't mean that we walk around saying, well, Proverbs 4.20 says, you ought to have Scripture rooted in you and ingrained in you to a point where when you have conversations, you're giving people the life-giving message of Jesus in some form or fashion. Be attentive to my words. If you're attentive to the right words, then the right words come out of you, right? It says, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all flesh. So 
If, if it says that, you go three verses later in the same chapter, he says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. So we're not just watching our mouth, because that's if we're not careful, we start paying attention to our words, some of us won't speak anymore when we need to speak up. Because we'll get to a point where we want to show everybody grace and we've wandered off on the wrong side of this and never say anything when truth is needed, right? So if we're not careful, we can swing by focusing on the wrong place. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance. So we go back to where we're rooted. We're rooted in faith, not our words and not our works. So how do we, how do we change our hearts? We change our hearts by getting back to the root by constantly staying in communication through the spirit that we talked about last week with the source of life. If we're constantly staying in connection with the source of life, then life is going to come out of us. When we get cut off from the source of life, people around us can see it. Like if I walk into this place and I'm in a bad mood, you pretty much know that I'm not in the right place. And you can see it on everybody's face. You can see it when, when, when you get ready to try to say something, even if it's nice, and it's like, oh, the world's going to hell in the handbag, and you, there's nothing good coming out of the conversation. It's not that we're being judgmental. It's just, it's just that we know. You can see it. Like, don't think that we can hide some of this stuff. And the point of us gathering as a church is so we don't have to hide some of this stuff. Because if we can't be transparent among brothers and sisters, the world's never going to get it. Listen, we've all got struggles. We've all got things that are going on in life that weigh heavily. I, I know. But it doesn't give us an excuse to let the weight that's so heavy bear us down to the point where we don't go back to the primary relationship that we have. That we don't keep our hearts with vigilance. Because what flows out of our hearts ultimately is what's going to flow out of our mouths. And it's the reason why we find ourselves working and we're working in the wrong perspective and we're doing the wrong thing and we wonder why people around us, uh, it feels like everything's draining and life is just, oh my gosh, and I, I keep giving but nothing ever gets returned because you're really not giving what needs to be given. And if we're not careful, we'll go back to what Jesus actually says in Matthew 12, 33-35 and he says either make a tree good and it's fruit good or make the tree bad and it's fruit bad. It, like there's a decision that needs to be made here. Now he's been talking about he just talked about the blasphemy of the Spirit that by your words you can say the wrong thing and you can completely blaspheme and listen, a lot of times we it's unintentional because we've become ignorant to certain things. And we have to take accountability for that still. And he says, he says, you brood of vipers. Like, I, like he just gets right down to it. He's, he's gotten to a point where, look, you've nitpicked me three times. You've, you've bashed my disciples. And he's not, he's not responding emotionally. He's responding the way that they need to hear it. And he says, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So your justification and your condemnation is already written on your heart and is being revealed by what you say. And some of us, we have a hard time understanding that because some of us grew up thinking that we just, well, I just decided that I was going to follow Jesus like I decided I was going to change a job. 
And when we talk about relationships in our society today, and this, listen, I'm not speaking ill of any of you in the room. Relationships don't matter as much in our society anymore because it's not normal for somebody to have been married 20 years, 30 years, 40 years anymore. So we can't put it in those terms because it doesn't make sense anymore because we can't compatibly even get along. And it's because nothing in us is good. We try to do it in our own strength and our own power. And you can't do something faithfully that's not your power and your strength because it's not yours to exert. And so there is, there is no justification that comes out of us. It comes straight from the faith that we've placed in God. Our words simply reveal the character, the condition, the heart that's already in us. The second thing is this. Your words are powerful. You already know that because of what we just said. They reveal the condition of your heart. The way that you interact with people reveals the condition of your heart. So the scripture says, I already mentioned this, but that in the power of the tongue, it's mentioned four times in Proverbs, is the power of the tongue. In Proverbs 12, 6 says, The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. In thirteen fourteen, it says, The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. In 15.4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Look, there's that imagery of a tree back to Genesis. But perverseness in it breaks the spirit. You have the power of death and life in your tongue. Every time you talk to somebody, that we, we, we got to get to a point as believers that we stop justifying being who we are and never changing anything about ourselves. Because this, this power of the Spirit is a changing spirit. That if every day we're not seeing something renewed in us, we're missing out on the greatness and fullness that God has for us. And it, it, it returns void every time we speak because we're not speaking life into situations. Not only do they have the power of death and life, but the, the Word says that they have the power of to heal in Proverbs 12 18 it says there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts but the tongue of the wise brings healing now a lot of times we hear that and when we hear words like rash words we think the bad, hard conversations where people are intentionally being jerks but that's not what that means it means that sometimes we don't even consider who we're talking to and how we're talking to them and our words can be rash and we can justify by saying, well, that's just who I am. And that's not how it works. We have to be a people that are changing because in Proverbs 16, 24, it says, gracious words are like a honeycomb. And the word gracious there means that we do have truth to share, but we do it gracefully. We can show people truth without being a jerk about it in all circumstances. It says it becomes sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So it changes everything about us. Gracious words, this is something that just comes from, if you study a little bit further, uh, it says they're honest, they're not boastful or argumentative, they're not contentious or gossipy, they are always calm and not emotional. That's what gracious words come off as. They're on time and are always informed by the character of the individual who is sharing them. And so if we have a gracious spirit about us, you'll start to see the character that spits the words out that are gracious. And so your words can bring healing and life to people. So here's the real question that we have to ask when we're thinking about 
the, the power to justify and the power to condemn are in the power of our words. And this is the simple question that I want to pose to you this morning and leave you with this morning. Do you desire for Jesus to heal and to bring life to people? When you speak to people, do people know that you desire for them to experience life in Christ? Do people know that you, you believe that Jesus is capable, has the power and desires to heal? Do we allow that filter to be in our minds and on our hearts when we speak to people? And how we answer that question ultimately is how we can respond. The power of our words give us the power of justification and they give us the power of condemnation. What are we doing with the words that we have? What are we doing with the words that we speak? What are we doing with everyday conversations? Are we bringing people to the throne of God's grace or we just think we're just going about life as usual? Because that's dangerous. It's dangerous to think in those terms. And I want to close with this passage. Proverbs 13, 2 through 3, and it's going to remain on the screen this morning. It just, it just simply says, From the fruit of his lips a man enjoys good things, but the unfaithful have a craving for violence. He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. And so this morning, with the words from Proverbs, I want you to go back for just a moment to the garden, but not the garden of Eden, the garden of your heart. The garden that has been planted in you, the two trees that stand in the midst of your soul that you are feeding on a regular basis. And here's what I want you to do. I'm, I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads where you are this morning. I just want you to meditate on the Word. As you consider those two trees in the midst of the garden of your heart, are you allowing past hurts, current circumstances? Are you allowing, are you allowing bad intentions by other people to inform how you interact with other people? If you're in that place this morning, then the picture that we get is we're digging that trench that's trying to deliver water to the tree of life in our soul. We're digging a trench to where it diverts it back to that same tree that keeps producing the same thing. It keeps producing death. It keeps producing, it, it keeps producing destruction. It keeps producing more of the same hurt, more of the same issues from the past. It keeps producing more of the same circumstances that we stay stuck in. And we keep replaying them and rehearsing them. And the encouragement that Scripture gives us is, is this passage. From the fruit of His lips, from the fruit of your lips this morning, you can begin to enjoy good things. And it starts right here with having the fruit of your lips in a, in a posture, heartfelt posture of repentance. Lord, I have spoken death not, not only over other people's lives, but over my own life. I have been convinced by the enemy that I'm not valuable, that I'm worthless, that I have nothing in me that deserves this. And Lord, I know that there's nothing in me that deserves your salvation, but God, I'm grateful that you've given it to me. I repent 
not of just bad thoughts, but Lord, of the sin that separates me. Because sin is ultimately responsible for me dwelling on my past. Sin is ultimately responsible for me continuing to replay in my mind and my heart the hurt that somebody has caused in my life. To see the circumstances that I'm in as a negative and not see you working in every moment and every situation for my good and for your glory. And God, I, I come to you from the words, the fruit of my own lips. I want to enjoy those good things. I want to enjoy the fruits of eternal life that's only found in Christ Jesus. And I, I want to start today. Now you may pray that in a thousand different ways, but you pray that however you need to. Whatever the hurt is that's causing you to continually speak death over your situation, continually speak death in other people's lives, some of you don't even realize that it's taking shape. But you're thinking right now, because you're thinking about conversations that you've had, you say, man, I could have handled that better. I could, have, I could have spoken something into this life that I missed the opportunity to. I want to be an individual that has the fruit of life, the fruit, the fruit that is purifying, the fruit that is fulfilling, the fruit that can be so intensifying that people don't have a choice but to know that there's something different about the God that I serve. And the second part of this Lord, we pray that we become people that guard our lips because we want to guard our lives. We don't want to speak rashly, out of turn. We don't want to allow the information that we think we're processing to not have the filter of your word and your spirit to be able to trust you more than we trust our own feelings and ourself. Lord, we're all guilty of it in one form or another, Lord. Lord, we are, we are people that desire to stop digging trench to the wrong tree. Lord, we want to continually water the tree that brings life, the tree that allows us access to an eternity, that allows us entrance into the family, that gives us the opportunity to see life through spiritual eyes. And Lord, we, don't, we know that according to your word, we don't have to work to do that. We don't have to fill the trench in because you do when we submit and surrender to you. Lord, help us to be people that trust what the word of Ecclesiastes says. That you placed eternity in each one of our hearts. And Lord, some of us have unlocked it. We've tasted and we've seen that you are good. We've experienced the faithfulness of Jesus by the power of the Spirit through the work, finished work on the cross. And Lord, we, we want to see other people experience the same thing as a result of our words. So that Lord, when we see passages like Matthew 12, it doesn't concern us because we know that we're working. We know that we're striving. We know that we're struggling and we're stumbling. But Lord, we know that we're trying and we're working and we're asking for that forgiveness. And Lord, we know that the words that are coming out of our mouths are being more and more and more informed by the faith that's been planted in our hearts. Lord, help us just to be, help us to be rooted in faith. Help us to put our trust in the 
in what the Greek term rima word really means. The, the true, unchanging word of God, the person of Jesus. The word became flesh. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Radiance in Macomb, Mississippi. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus, would like to connect with a pastor, or would like to support the ministry of Radiance, you can easily do so on our website at radiancemacomb.com. We hope you have a blessed week.